Good morning, and welcome to First UU Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to the visitors here this morning. We come from a long heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by welcoming to the per- people to the to your right, to your left, front, back, all around. Please say the words with me for lighting our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. From the fragmented world of our everyday lives, we gather together in search of wholeness. By many cares and preoccupations, by diverse and selfish aims, are we separated from one another and divided within ourselves. Yet we know that no branch is utterly severed from the tree of life that sustains us all. We cherish our oneness with those around us and the countless generations that have gone before us. We would hold fast to all of good we inherit, even as we would leave behind us the outworn and the false. We would escape from bondage to the ideas of our own day and from the delusions of our own fancy. Let us labor in hope for the dawning of a new day without hatred, violence, and injustice. Let us nurture the growth in our own lives of the love that has shown in the lives of the greatest of men and women, the rays of whose lamps still illumine our way. In this spirit we gather, in this spirit we pray. And now, inasmuch as Someone may give you a pop quiz as to why you come here. The words are written in our bulletin and on the wall. At First UU Church, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our first reading this morning is entitled Mattering, and it comes to us from the Building the World We Dream About curriculum, It's uh, published by the UUA, and it's written by an anonymous UU high school student. My father asked if I'm gay. I asked, does it matter? He said, no, not really. I said, yes. He said, get out of my life. I guess it mattered. My friend asked why I talk about race so much. I asked, Does it matter? He said, no, not really. I said, yes. He said, you need to get that chip off your shoulder. I guess it mattered. My neighbor asked why I put that ramp up to my front door. I said, does it matter? He said, no, not really. I told him, because it makes my life easier. He said, is there a way to make it less obvious? I guess it mattered. A member of my church asked why I like gospel music. I asked, does it matter? 
She said, no, not really. I told her that it connects me to my Southern Christian childhood. She said, I think you're in denial about your oppression. (laughs) I guess it mattered. My God asked me, do you love yourself? I said, does it matter? She said, yes. I said, how can I love myself? I am gay, Latino, disabled, and a Christian in a hostile climate. She said, that is the way I made you. Nothing will ever matter again. Please join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Spirit of life, of love, of old friends and new, God of many names. Make room in our hearts this morning for joy, for allowing surprises of laughter to fill our lungs. Make room in our hearts for compassion, for the bonds of empathy to extend from us to those among us suffering. Make room in our hearts for humility, for being at peace with our imperfections and our mistakes. Make room in our hearts for patience, for forgiveness of others whose words or actions sting our souls. And make room in our hearts for love, for recognizing our shared humanity and our common journey. This we pray. Amen. During this time of musical meditation, we recognize all of the joys and the sorrows, our triumphs and tragedies that we've lived and carry in with us throughout this past week we've been apart. Please feel free to light a candle that will mark such a joy or concern so that the flames might lift up and we might all breathe them in and carry them with you so that the burden or the celebration is not yours to live alone. Amen. I'll ask you to join me in this reading by reading the italicized portions, and I'll read the rest. This is by the late Reverend Marjorie Bowens Wheatley. If, recognizing the interdependence of all life, we strive to build community, the strength we gather will be our salvation. If you are black and I am white, it will not matter. You are female and I am male. It will not matter. If you are older and I am younger, it will not matter. You are progressive and I am conservative. It will not matter. You are straight and I am gay. If you are Christian and I am Jewish, it will not matter. We join spirits as brothers and sisters. The pain of our aloneness will be lessened. And that does matter. In this spirit, we build community and move toward restoration. So good morning. 
I cannot express to you how thrilling it is for me to be in this pulpit. Each time I stand here, I remember standing here and delivering my first sermon ever as a little 20-year-old member of this congregation. It's been a few years since then. I was part of a lay-led gay pride service that focused on the coming out process as a means of celebrating one's authentic self. I remember the using, the, using the then recently released film Pleasantville as my text of sorts and comparing shamefully hiding away parts of ourselves that we should be proud of to living in a black and white world rather than in technicolor. Through this experience and with the encouragement of this congregation, I was able to listen to that still, small voice within me and uncover my call to ministry. I had first heard that whisper many months before when I attended my first service here. But one of the two interim co-ministers at the time, the late Reverend Marjorie Bowens Wheatley, who wrote our uh, Litany of Restoration reading today, was leading the service that day. First service here. Having grown up in conservative northern West Texas, I had never before laid eyes on a woman minister, let alone a woman of color minister. In fact, my little fellowship was too small to even have a minister. So although I grew up Unitarian Universalist, I had no idea that UU's ordained anyone. (laughs) And before me stood a role model whose existence was proof that I could bring my whole self into service of this faith that I have loved my whole life in a way that I had never before imagined was possible. Pretty cool stuff. As I got to know Marjorie better over the years and she took me under her wing, she told me stories of her difficult journey as a UU minister of color. She experienced sexism and racism within our ranks, most often in the form of those less tangible microaggressions than in the easy-to-recognize acts of bigotry that make level-headed, compassionate people recoil. Microaggressions are small acts that are done, often without thought or malicious intent, which serve to remind others that they exist outside of what is considered normal or acceptable. We've all borne witness to various microaggressions and most likely have uttered them ourselves without realizing it. A boy is told, stop being such a girl. A woman, wow, who knew you could fix a flat tire? A plus-sized woman, you know you have such a pretty face. A lesbian couple, so I guess she's more of the man, right? And you're more of the woman? Or, that's funny, I couldn't tell you were Chinese over the phone. Or, it's so rude when you say things in Spanish to others when you're hanging out with me. We would be hard-pressed 
to find a soul in this room that hasn't had such an experience that made them feel diminished in some way, which made them feel as if they did not matter. When someone fails to see us as an individual person of worth, it has the effect of isolating everyone involved from recognizing our inherent connectedness. Just as we can recall feeling diminished, we all have experienced pain. We all yearn to feel loved. We've all known the joy of friendship and the agony of loss. We've all had hard days that we cannot wait to close the door on with a good night's sleep. We've all known what it feels like to laugh so hard or to worry so much about someone that it hurts. And yet, we've all been enculturated since birth to fear and judge those who are different from ourselves. We've all learned this. I become so frustrated when I hear otherwise progressive folks lifting up the word tolerance. In my youth, I was so proud to be a member of the UU Fellowship of Odessa, Texas, as its sign read, Freedom, Reason, and Tolerance. It faced the busiest street in in the city. But as I grew into adulthood, and I began to notice more and more that the majority of Unitarian Universalists don't look like me, Tolerance sounded less and less appealing. Those who are tolerated do not fully have a place. Sure, blatant name-calling and the like are frowned upon with tolerance at play, but does that mean tongues are being bitten? Maybe, maybe not. One who is tolerated is never quite certain. As the good liberals that we are, We would like to think that we have moved past, moved beyond tolerance to acceptance. But have we truly? It may be safe to say that many, if not most, or all of us, would like to have greater diversity in our UU congregations. Most congregations, this one notwithstanding, have a smattering of ethnic, gender, ability, and sexual diversity, but by and large, Ours is still a predominantly white, heterosexual, upper-middle-class, highly-educated denomination. If we are accepting, truly accepting and welcoming, why is this the case? Why are we not more diverse? Acceptance is a very tough place to come to. It doesn't happen accidentally. It requires intention, and deep soul work to become a reality, a lived reality. We do not simply become accepting because we wish ourselves to be or because we believe ourselves to be. Because we are all taught racism to varying degrees by our family of origin and or by our society that values as the norm European influence and culture and whiteness, 
as the standard of beauty and intelligence, as well as all of the other isms that we're taught. Sexism, heterosexism, ableism, ageism, classism, etc. So it takes deliberate time and energy to unlearn all that we've been taught, much of which has been buried so deep within our very wiring where we keep all those less cute parts of ourselves. We don't usually expose these parts to the light of day. I know I don't, or try not to, for fear of judgment by ourselves and by others. Without taking the risk and doing this work in faithful community, of engaging in a remedial education of love, an increase of diversity will be a facade, and we will be engaging in tokenism. We may gain the appearance of an accepting denomination, but we will, in essence, be merely tolerant of difference. Robert W. Carnan, UU minister to a church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that was able to grow in diversity through multiculturalism, writes similarly about the experience. He says, inclusive congregational membership means intentionally opening doors and pews with a genuine welcome to all who come in goodwill. It means a natural concomitant fear among the existing members about the many unknown people who begin to sit next to and join with them in worship with those who have been there for a long time. We found, he says, that this is the frontier for the confrontation with racism, class phobia, ageism, genderism, homophobia, and all other prejudices that we hold most privately just under the surface of our daily lives. How will we go about achieving an authentic authentic celebration of difference. The answer must must begin by stating that diversity in and of itself cannot be the ultimate goal, absent from working toward ending oppression and becoming allies to one another. We have a spiritual imperative to end racism and other forms of oppression, to become allies to the marginalized. I want to say that again. We have a spiritual imperative to end racism and other forms of oppression, to become allies to the marginalized, all of us. Doing this work helps us to grow more fully into our humanity, It recognizes the worth and dignity of every person, embraces our interconnectedness. Anti-racism and anti-oppression work in general requires us to look directly at ourselves and at others and do away with rhetoric which values colorblindness and ignoring difference. Ju Young Choi a friend of mine and lifelong UU, I met her through my work with drum 
uh, UU People of Color organization. She once addressed a 2005 UU Youth Conference with the following statement. Friend, if you wish to love me, do not be blind to my color, my sexuality, my abilities, my class. If you wish to love me, do not be blind to systemic oppression and do not be blind to the oppression that has affected me. My color is beautiful. I've certainly experienced my share of racism in my life, not to mention my experiences of sexism, homophobia, and whatever the ism is called by which people from elsewhere negatively judge Texans. Within UU congregations, I hear comments such as, you don't look Unitarian, you look like you'd be a Roman Catholic. Or, wow, that was powerful. Do you write the sermons yourself? That's so impressive. Or, so what part of Mexico were you born in? To that one, I always answer Texas, the northern part of Mexico. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I've been mistaken for the Latina child care worker after preaching and while standing in my robe. The list can go on, but in doing this work, I've found that my stories are not unique. We've all been damaged by the continued existence of oppression, all of us. Our humanity has been tried and lessened. Our work begins by undoing these lessons and learning to become an ally, to be a community of allies to the historically marginalized among us and outside of our walls. There are many, many ways to begin this crucial work of becoming an ally by increasing our awareness of culture, of our culture and difference. We become more mindful, more mindful of our attitudes, values, and assumptions. We must examine our UU cultural norms and begin begin to become curious about how they came to be. I have a funny story about this from seminary. We were placing out our snacks before a student senate meeting when my friend Dominique, a black woman, and I began teasing two of our closest friends, Margaret and Jessica, about their dish. They had brought hummus and baby carrots. We pointed out the fact that at every meeting, there was always sure to be a white girl who brought hummus and baby carrots. (laughs) (laughs) After the four of us had a really good laugh, (laughs) Margaret and Jessica gained an awareness of the reality and existence of white dominant culture and planned a seminary chapel service that explored whiteness further, calling it White Girls Chapel Service. What began as a joke between friends ended up bringing some healing and opening the eyes of all who attended the worship service, our whole seminary community. So to achieve the goal of diversity, 
begins in anti-racism, anti-oppression, but it must end in working toward multiculturalism. For diversity on its own is not sustainable without multiculturalism. And multiculturalism cannot be built without the foundation of anti-oppression. The journey toward becoming truly welcoming to all, of becoming allies, is tough work. But it's soul-feeding work. And apparently we're in the business of that. These subjects, they're not easy to talk about. This is the work that requires a great deal of personal and communal courage to move beyond denial, guilt, shame, and apathy. But I wonder, what will our congregations look like when we arrive? How will we measure our success? Is there truly a destination, or should we view the journey as an ongoing process, forever growing into our humanity, becoming an ally, forever becoming Reverend Paul Razor says, liberals want to create a strong and inclusive community, but we often want to do it without giving up anything, without letting down the barriers we erect around ourselves in the name of individual autonomy. Change can be a scary thing, but if our church culture changes to more fully embrace multiculturalism, we need not change our core values which is what makes us Unitarian Universalists, after all. We won't throw out all of the great old hymns or traditions. We will simply add new ones to our repertoire and learn to sing them someday. (laughs) True multiculturalism does not recognize one culture as normative over any other, be it heterosexual culture, English-speaking, two-parent households, white, upper-middle class, gender-normative, or able-body cultures, but it does embrace each as a rich and valuable member of the human family. What do we have to gain? Karnan admits that an inclusive opening brings discomfort. The discomfort exists for those who already who are already members, and it exists for the newcomer too. But the journey has meant that we speak more honestly and listen more carefully. It has meant, meant the growth of the heart and the spirit of love to encompass more than the congregation has previously been willing to see and know. It has meant becoming a close friend to someone who 10 years ago might have been avoided because of their identity or looks or presumed status. We have become, excuse me, we have begun to remake our world, he says, beginning with ourselves. And the transformation has been as liberating as it has been demanding. This is hard work. I look forward to engaging in this transformative, community-building 
justice ensuring this holy work with this congregation this fall. We will laugh, cry, discover, and grow in spirit together as we strive to become better allies. May it be so. Please say with me the words with which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go in peace to bless this world with a commitment to loving transformation. May it be so. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.